This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Ramya. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI's on-air community, and everyone's invited. Welcome, welcome to another week of Kelly and Ramya. And I say an entire week because we're here all five days, weekdays, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. 4 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio and whenever you want to listen on your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ramia Amuthan, one of the hosts of the show. Usually Kelly McDonald would be here as well to join me, but he's actually out there doing some cool stuff in regards to Black History Month. And he's with SILT, which is the Center of Independent Living Toronto, uh, and taking part that way. So Brock Richardson is here in the co-host seat. How's it going, Brocky? It's going well. I um, was actually going to join Kelly, not as a participant, but as a as a just an observer of what mm-hmm. he was doing. And then I got the call of you're needed. So I said, OK, I'll go hang out with Ramya for two hours. Yeah, no thanks. Problem. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He picked me over yeah. you, Kels. But I'm sure that <laughs> the presentation is going well. And of course, very informative and knowing Kelly, uh, very engaging. But Brocky, another question for you. And this is a low vision question. You and I. We watch TV. Yeah, that's fair to say. Pretty generic statement. But I'm curious how big your TV has to be for you to enjoy the content visually. Do you have a measurement already? I do. Um, I can get away with, like, the screen that I'm using now is a television screen for Kelly and Ramia to to do the show. Specifically for us. Wow. We're honored. But I'm, I'm very close to it. I'm probably about... Six to eight inches away from the screen in order to make it work. That one's a 30-inch television. But the television that I use to watch uh, actual TV with is 50 inches. And I have to be uh, pretty close to that TV to observe the uh, visuals. I would like to get more like a 70-inch. But Uh my wife says uh, no pass on the 70-inch. So 50 we can deal with. 70 would be the ideal, I think, but I'm going to be outvoted on this for sure. And, okay, so 50 is what you um, use. And when I was younger, I would sit right in front of the TV, like knees touching the uh, stand. And there was all that talk. You know, it's not good for you. Terrible. It'll make your vision worse. And then my ophthalmologist was like, no, you do what you need to to make the screen work for you. And so I can sit right close up to it. 30 inch or so, or even just my phone. Uh, but I do have a 70 inch at home, Brock. So I'm not selling it. I'm just bragging. Um, and with that, I can sit with my friends at a, like a normal, I guess, distance away from the TV, like where you would want your couch to be. Not at a super far distance, though. Then it's just pointless. Yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up about your optometrist being like, you do you, because I had a very similar. <laughs> conversation with my optometrist my mom was like no you can't do this it's ruin your eyes you're gonna have no vision and the and the doctor was like yeah no your vision's already out of the barn it is what it is so uh-huh. you do you to enjoy so i'm right there with you and it was one of those moments where i felt very very validated exactly. from the doctor Exactly. And then he sent you home with carrots and vitamin A, maybe just kidding all yeah. right let's see what's coming up on today's <laughs> monday edition of kelly and Ramia. 
We're talking about uh, the AMI TV series Push. Season 2 is debuting March 8th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI Plus, AMI TV. We're going to talk about it with one of the stars, uh, Brian McPherson. And on our O&M segment with Mark Rankin, we continue the discussion about fall prevention and go through simple audits we can do in our home for hazards that anyone can do. So important. Also, Know Your Rights, another important chat with Danielle McLaughlin. There's a victim slash witness uh, assistance programs in each of Canada's provinces and territories. She's going to tell us more on Know Your Rights. Um, so maybe we can talk about this a bit. Uh, Don Henley has taken the stand at the criminal trial surrounding what he says were stolen and uh, written lyrics to Hotel California. Oh, that's a big one. Uh, and other Eagles hits as well. And the uh, co-founders are testifying a criminal trial uh, at uh, three collectibles professionals and that they're charged with colluding to veil the ownership and charges of the pages in order to sell these unhigh demands for their return. So let's uh, listen to a bit of Hotel California, and then we can chat a little bit more about the context around this. So apparently this was reported stolen after some of the defendants um, started to put them out for auction in 2012, which is kind of, uh, you know, recent, I guess, especially in consideration to when the song was released. But, uh, Brocky, when we hear, we hear a lot more of this kind of thing, I think, nowadays. People are coming out and uh, songs and lyrics and all kinds of rights issues around art is coming out. And art, of course, from... A long time ago, right? And when I say a long time ago, I'm literally just thinking of now versus before AI. Because when AI comes through, now we have all kinds of conversations that are very different from this one around rights. You know, who has rights to property anymore? Who has rights to arts anymore? How do we even measure rights when it comes to arts, especially if, number one, AI is creating, but number two, if AI is assisting and things like that. So um, it's interesting that we can, like, pull old things and have discussions and lawsuits and, uh, you know, back and forth and tug of wars around, hey, this belongs to me, this belongs to you, and how do we deal with this? But <laughs> I don't think these conversations are going to stay this way moving forward. No, you... you you hope not, and you hope that everyone can come to some level of agreement that everyone's satisfied with. But uh, if you look at Hotel California, I mean, that's a big song. And so if if this is the case, then you would want, you know, to know what's mine, what's yours. Because if it is yours or mine, then let's sort it out because it's a big song. But even others want a piece of the pie a little bit, too. Mm-hmm. Exactly. All right, well, we're going to take a break from this and come back to talk a little tech with Michael Babcock. That's a Monday staple. And we're talking about the Apple Vision Pro because it's in the wild. What does it mean? We'll talk about it with him on Kelly and Romeo after the break. Don't miss a minute. Kelly and Romeo will be right back.
having a lot of fun voiceover challenges and uh, might show up through the show. This is not a, an excuse or anything. I'm just saying it's quite uh, a roller coaster with me and voiceover sometimes. Not every day, you know. We have a pretty consistent relationship, but once in a while, it's just like can't get on the same page. Anyways, it's all fitting because we're going to talk tech right now on Kelly and Ramia. Brock Richardson, Ramia, I'm within the host of today's show. Let's bring on Michael Babcock. App news, device reviews, security advice, and more. It's time to talk tech with me, Michael Babcock. Get your dose of ever-changing technology knowledge right here on Kelly and Ramia. Michael, I've been really um, looking forward to a first-hand review or account of this product. So I'm excited that you're going to talk about it. The Apple Vision Pro. It's in the wild. So tell us first um, what exactly this is. So I know people couldn't see me uh, before the doorbell, but I was sitting here nodding my head on your comments <laughs> with voiceover. Like, yep, right? yep, that, that's, uh-huh. that explains my relationship with voiceover well, practically, on right? all the time. Exactly. It's like, you're so good for three weeks. Why? Why today? Yes. Okay. Yes. Why Why do you have to do this today? And, and why do you do this this time? It's uh, never the same saying, thing, at least for me. Honestly. Uh, yes. Yes. So the Apple Vision Pro, according to the Apple Vision Pro user guide, and let me see if I can get this real quick. It's the Apple Vision Pro is a spatial computer that blends digital content and apps into your physical space, which that might be like, huh, what's it? What what does that do? So uh, what the Apple Vision Pro is, is it, it's been described to me as goggles um, that people can wear. It's a headset that you wear um, that allows people to bring technology into their into their environment. One of the cool things that sound one of the things that sounds cool to me is that you can bring apps and tools into your 3D environment and get audio feedback based on where those apps and tools are. So I may have kind of jumped the gun a little bit. The Apple Vision Pro is a, a headset that you wear that allows you to use your apps um, and use your hands and eyes to control the device. And this has been rumored for years from Apple. Um, finally was released to the wild and uh, people have mixed opinions on it. But going back to the spatial uh, awareness of this, and we kind of seen this with the AirPods Pros, um, and that is spatial audio. Um, and to me, that's really interesting. If you put your music application, because you can put things in your environment on your left-hand side, but slightly in front of you, guess what? That music is going to come from your left-hand side slightly in front of mm. you, which is kind of cool. Um, another nice thing about this is um, the Apple Vision Pro playing off of what you guys were talking about and the laid segment um, is also a good way for someone to uh, get their TV or their entertainment into a size and location that best supports them. So a friend, we'll hear his voice here in a couple of minutes, um, went ahead and he has low vision, but he's able to bring an 80-inch TV into his environment, for example, bring that close to him so he can see what's going on on the TV and not have to worry about having the room for that TV actually physically in his environment. Brock, and this is your solution. Huge. 
Perfect. Yes. Yep. I, it's only thirty five hundred US exactly. Brock. <laughs> okay, I'll just pull that out of my bank later. Yeah, it's Megan, fine. get out of this conversation. Maybe Mr. Ethel will get you one for for uh, research purposes, right? <laughs> See? Right. Yeah, yeah. An- uh, another cool yes. thing about this is uh, Michael was on a FaceTime call with one of his friends. <laughs> I think this is funny. He went outside while wearing his Vision Pro, and he did not bring his t- his window for the FaceTime call with him. So his window for the FaceTime call was still sitting in his living room. Um, and so the person he was on FaceTime with goes, "You know, just so you know, it sounds really uh, reverby. Um, I-, I can I can hear you, but." it's kind of difficult to hear you because it goes back to that spatial uh, awareness. Mm. I asked him, I said, does that mean you have the Accio feature from Harry Potter to bring your window back to you? And he said, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. Have you heard from uh, blind users using it? Yeah. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to go off of the basis of Michael Doys and uh, Shelly Brisbane. Michael Doys uh, runs the IA cast network and he purchased one a couple of weeks ago. And his first experience was this is horrible. I can't use this because eye tracking was enabled by default. And he has a condition where he has no control over his eyes. So they move around a lot. And so the focus in the Apple Vision Pro was was jumping around a lot. Now, you can go in and disable that once you get through the setup process. And he has since had to go through the setup process a second time uh, because he bought the 512 gigabyte and then quickly realized that he needed to upgrade to the one terabyte version. Uh, So he had to take that one back and get a new one. And the setup experience was a little better. But um, he he did say be aware of that when you're using it, especially if uh, your eye you don't have much control over your eyes. The eye tracking can be a little challenging. Um, it did have a voiceover tutorial. So Apple, if you can have a voiceover tutorial on the Apple Vision Pro, I'm still waiting for that voiceover tutorial on the iPhone. Yep. Um, and now that Michael has had the Apple Vision Pro for a couple of weeks, though, he said that navigating is completely doable, especially with your hands. Um, your vision level will impact uh, obviously how much you can actually see in the device but it might also impact your interaction with it as well um he he really likes the audio quality of the headphones um that uh they they kind of use like fire um Kind of like the Bose frames where it fires the sound into your ears. He says that's really good. But he also was blown away with the microphone quality. I think we have a nine-second clip. I want to show you guys a demonstration Mm -hmm. of that mic. Okay, so this is a test to see how good these microphones sound. We will record this and stop and see how it sounds. Now, that was recorded in a very open air area um so there's some high ceilings in his room but you couldn't even tell like that that's very me, direct yeah yeah it's like the it's almost like you're using a microphone right on your mouth that, mm-hmm. that uh, does some noise cancellation so i think there is some ai processing in that microphone from where it picks you up uh, but i'll tell you what if, if all of my bluetooth headphones sounded like that i'd be on the phone more often with the bluetooth headphones. especially airpods are you kidding me this sounded yes, ma'am. incredible uh, are you excited <laughs> for the device michael not yet 
Um, I'm, I might sound like I am, but really, you can't use third-party applications. So uh, the Vision Pro does have cameras on it, and you can't use those directly with Be My Eyes or Ira. Um, when you can use those, I think I'll be a little bit more e excited about it. Now, we have with some discovery uh, found out that, hey, you know what? Because this is based on Apple's ecosystem, you can take a picture of things using the native camera app. And then, of course, there's a share icon you can tap on. And then you can share that with things like Envision to get a description of it. But right now, it's not as smooth as it could be. So I think once that comes, and of course, the price tag, um, you used to be able to buy, you can't anymore, but you used to be able to buy a used car for that price of 3,500 US. But um, I think once that comes down a little bit and uh, the functionality comes up a little bit with the Apple Vision Pro, I will probably have one. I say give it about three to five years, uh, kind of like the Apple Watch. And <laughs> it came out, there was a lot of excitement. And then a couple of years later, everyone just had a watch on their wrist and, and Apple kind of uh, invaded our lives that way. You think three to five years, though, that's a it feels like a long time for the way that technology just moves these days to get it I right. I think three to five years, because I don't think they're going to be on an annual update basis like they okay, are with the fair. phone or computers. Right. So give it another edition or two, and then we'll be we'll be there where everyone's going to be like, yep, I want this. Now, Stephen over at Double Tap has really got me interested in these Ray-Bans uh, glasses yep. because they have some functionality, and I'm, I'm hearing some rumors about those too. So uh, definitely, I don't know, I might have to get a pair of those to hold me over until I can get the Apple Vision Pro. It's all about trends, though. Like, once one person has it and it's somebody in your close circle, you're like, I want to try that. And then it builds into something else. So I understand why these technological devices get picked up very quickly. Michael, uh, Liar is a RSS reader. What is RSS, if you would? Sure. So RSS stands for really simple syndication, and it allows users the ability to access website updates simply by using a standard format. It's primarily used on blogs or websites that often have updates made to them. And you can install an app to read the RSS feed. Um, and so whenever there's a new story published to the uh, site, then the RSS feed will notify you and then you're able to get that. Kind of like getting the um, articles in your email inbox, except for you get to keep it a little separate. Um, and it's been around four years, pretty much since the internet started. Mm. And why do you like this specific app? Yeah, so I really like using Lear, L-I-R-E, which voiceover pronounced liar, which yep. I think is really interesting when it comes to the news. But um, <laughs> it allows me customizability. I think that's how you would say that word. If I want to hear when I'm browsing my articles, a summary of the article followed by the date, and I don't want to hear the title, or if I'm not interested in hearing the author, but I want to hear the title and the date and the summary, I can completely customize what information is provided to me uh, as a voiceover user so I can efficiently go through my articles and quickly get the information I need. And then the last thing is, is Lear will also allow you to download the articles. So if you're traveling and you want to read all your news articles and you're on an airplane, you can actually download those articles before you get on the plane, go through your news articles and act on them uh, without being online. How can you sync your RSS feeds with other tools. 
Yeah, so you'd want to use a tool like an RSS aggregator, and this would allow you to add all of your RSS feeds to the aggregator, and then you sign into that aggregator with your RSS reader. For example, uh, Lear in this case, or there's a couple of other ones that work. And then anytime an update comes to any of the feeds you're subscribed to, you're able to get those updates in your reader. You want to tell us about uh, Paprika 3? This is an app that you purchased recently. Oh, if you like to uh, browse recipes, but you absolutely hate the advertisements on the website, <laughs> you need Paprika 3. So everybody. Um, mm -hmm. So what this allows you to do is uh, it allows you the ability to uh, copy those recipes into your Paprika app, and then you can categorize them. So based on the primary um, uh, ingredient in it or based on you know different meals, and then you can build out a menu and a shopping list list uh, with the ingredients and it's 100% accessible with voiceover. And so this is how the app allows you to collect recipes is basically how you just described it or is there more to that? So the biggest difference is when you're in Safari and you're on a web page, you tap that share button, you tap Paprika 3, and then it will go and suck up all the data, separate the ingredients from the instructions, and then there's a save button in the top right corner. And then that takes out all the advertisements. So next time you want to find that recipe, you simply open Paprika, you find the uh, recipe you want, and then you can either make it create you a shopping list based on the recipes you're cooking, or you can just read the ingredients um, and then you can rate that recipe right there within the application. Nice. And after using it for a week, what are your thoughts? I don't know how I dealt with all of those advertisements right? in the past. Honestly. Uh, and ultimately, I will keep using this application. My wife keeps sending me Facebook recipes. It's really cool because I don't have the Facebook app on my phone. Mm. But if I tap on the link that she sends me um, and then I tap share to Paprika, guess what? Paprika sucks all that data up. I don't have to have Facebook in. And then I have the recipe and I can make her dinner at least now i don't have any excuses not to anymore <laughs> it's all accessible to you yeah and you know um pinterest is another one and i'm not sure if we can go straight from pinterest to paprika three but uh, it's another one where mm -hmm. not all the the recipes are quite accessible and i'm not sure if it's because it, people are uploading images or what's going on but by the time i scroll and scroll and scroll i'm like i'm tired i'm gonna go find this recipe elsewhere so um that's one to experiment so with. you should get paprika and try it with pinterest yeah. because i'm pretty sure yeah. it'll make your life magical all right thank you magical and food <laughs> we'll talk to you next week yeah, have a great show thanks Michael Babcock joins us on Mondays for a weekly tech talk and uh, keeping us posted on a lot of stuff, including the Apple Vision Pro. After the break, we have Grant Hardy joining us with headlines. We'll see what articles he's brought to us and news stories that we can flip through. It's Kelly and Ramia on AMI-tv, AMI-audio and podcasts. Stick around and learn something new. Kelly and Ramya return with more in a moment. Welcome back. You're tuned into Kelly and Ramia on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and your favorite podcast platform. Of course, we're here Monday to Friday. Check us out on podcasts in full show format or by segments, which are uploaded daily and easy to share content-wise. I'm Ramia Amudin with Brock Richardson, and we're hosting the show today. 
At this time on a Monday, we like to flip through some headlines with producer Grant Hardy. It's that time. Let's bring him on. Hey, I'm Grant Hardy, and welcome to the Headlines segment. I tackle everything from health and lifestyle to accessibility and tech. I have it all right here on Kelly and Ramia. Hello, Grant. Hi, folks. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic show so far. I'm super stoked that uh, our tech contributors or just other members of the Blind and Partially Sighted uh, community are starting to get their hands on some of these new goodies like the Apple Vision Pro. I don't don't know about you guys, but I've I've noticed a lot of people in the community, and and I'm starting to do this too, make recordings for sort of mm. a form of like a journal or do you, you know, to save memories. And I think having these tools with these fantastic microphones and audio quality are going to be great for us to be able to use in the field. Yeah, absolutely. And we were talking just on a practical level, right. Uh, with Michael on just things sounding better, getting on phone calls with Bluetooth headsets and such, but you're totally right, Grant. There's a lot of footage now and feedback through audio. Um, and that means, you know, lots of cleaner quality, especially with the help of AI, apparently. So. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. With well, the processing. Cool. Where are we well, starting with uh, you today? Sure. Well, we're starting on a little bit of a more somber note. I mean, dogs are usually man and women's best friends, but not always. In uh, the Toronto area alone, apparently there are somewhere between 250,000 to 300,000 dogs. um, And only about 1% of them are problematic dogs. I was going to do the math in my head here, but um, leave that that to you guys to do. Uh Um, But that being said, uh, dog attacks are serious business. They can be really uh, life-changing both in terms of health you know heaven forbid health of your pet or just trauma and this week the economic and community development committee is going to be hearing from some city staff some city uh, councillors who are recommending several changes to the registry for dangerous dogs so in the past, it turns out that owners have only been required to hang a sign warning about the danger of their dog. But city councillors are saying that doesn't go far enough. So the biggest change is going to be, if this gets approved, a publicly accessible list that would provide a dangerous dog owner's ward number as well as their postal code prefix to let people know where the dog lives and it would also include information about the dog like its breed name and a description of when incidents took place so they're saying that this is going to be obviously very controversial uh but they are willing to i guess fight to push this through because of the fact that dog attacks are so life altering. Um, I, I took my dog to a dog park, uh, about a week to 10 days ago. And I thought it was just me. Cause I watch a lot of American court shows. I also like to call that trash <laughs> television to be perfectly <laughs> honest, but but I watch a lot of American court shows and time after time you see this, 
oh, dog attack here, dog attack there. And I promised my dog was friendly, but mm. this and that. When I took my dog for the first time to a dog park, I was panic mode. I was like, oh my God, she got too close to this dog. I was like, because the vet bills are ridiculous <laughs> to cover an injury. And so I was panicked. Do I think this is a necessary? Maybe. But I also think there is going to be a bit of controversy. And how honest are people going to be when they have to go put this on the registry and my dog's a bad dog and I got to admit it. I think that's yeah. where the challenge is going to come from. I really do. Of course. Right now I mean, it's kind of an honor system, right, Grant? Like we in Toronto, you can bring your dogs and cats, I guess, and maybe other pets too. But anyways, definitely dogs on uh, TTC, our local transit system. And I'm thinking it's very much an honor system. Of course, I don't have to worry about Glasgow. He's an adorable doodle, not there to hurt anybody. But um, it's just the risk you're taking. And really, there are all kinds of people on DTC who are terrified, traumatized, um, nervous about, you know, the spectrum of fear levels to, to, to pets on transit, especially dogs. But we have no idea what kind of temperaments we're dealing with. There's no way for us to check. And you're just kind of hoping that people who will take the uh, initiative or like who are bringing their their dogs on TTC are taking the initiative and the understanding and uh, of really just realization that hey if my dog can't be around other people or can't handle any unforeseen circumstances like another dog on TTC then they probably shouldn't come on public transit exactly and, yeah i think i think we judge all too quickly you know it's that phrase of don't judge a book by its cover. And I think people do that. Like, to Ramia's point, we don't know what the person has had that's traumatic that's taken place. So oh, we can 100%. sit there and sell them sell them 100%. My dog would never do this. I promise. I, You know, yeah, my dog's care. so friendly. All she wants to be is your friend. But there, there can be some very traumatic things that take place for people. And I think we all too often look and go, I promise you my dog won't do this. And it's like, yeah, but you don't know the history of this person and said animal as a whole, not just your dog. Yeah, exactly. I find this interesting in a couple of different points. So first of all, just anecdotally from, you know, Facebook neighborhood group, wherever. Mm -hmm. I like, I just find it fascinatingly morbid how many, you know, dare I say, I know the concept of being a gentleman. I don't know if that's a bit antiquated or whatever but i i can't get over you know the amount of people like a man who you know comes upon like a woman and her dog and the dog attacks one or both of them and apparently in a lot of cases uh he'll just leave like oh gee i'm sorry my dog's usually friendly okay goodbye uh, whoa. and you know leaving people in you know, serious states of trauma and, and injury. So I, I think that's number one, just the fact that really it should be treated more like an ass assault mm. perpetrated by a human because it really is the owner's responsibility to kind of keep things in check. The other thing that I find interesting is just as members of the disability community, we are really very vulnerable in a couple thing ways, obviously with, you know, uh, guide dogs and how that, training goes and how you're trained but also just the expectations on you like people expect you to take your guide dog to the dog park mm -hmm. and you know expect you to do this and that and you really are kind of relying on the 
consistency in the safety of the community in order to do that. So this is something I highly support. I think that we we really need to get a little bit more serious yeah. about that. We'll see what happens uh, as the week goes on here. And there's going to be a lot of controversy, but we'll see if we can push this through. Mm. Um. So I guess moving on to another kind of sobering um, piece of news here. There is a Statistics Canada survey that was done, um, and they found, I guess this isn't really super um, surprising, but we'll just go over the stats. But essentially, they found that happiness and life satisfaction across Canada was correlated with home ownership versus being a, a renter. Um, so they found that, first of all, only 51.7% of Canadian residents report high life satisfaction. Like, isn't that kind of depressing? Um, but in Ontario, only 48.3% of people do. And in BC, 48% do. Um, so that's a lot lower. Also in Vancouver in particular, uh, people report uh, a lot lower levels of mental health. Uh, there are significant amounts of people who live in either unsatisfactory or unaffordable homes and spend over half of their money on shelter. Um, but as noted, they found that uh, people who own their own homes were significantly more likely to be happier and more satisfied with life. And what's coming out of this is that they're urging the government to invest in non-commercial, non-market housing, such as co-ops, where people pay significantly lower rent so that at least if they don't own homes, we can kind of help compute in a more positive way some of that financial hardship. Not not surprising at all, really, um, but just brings... uh, I guess kind of the sober reality that until we can get some better programs, we talk about this all the time on the show or a little bit lower inflation uh, or some higher social housing. uh, This is going to be a really significant strain on people just wondering where their home is going to be and if they can continue to afford it. Yep. And for people moving around more than they'd like to, you know, market rent just keeps increasing and increasing, which is ridiculous to keep up with, right? As as you say, with inflation. Uh, But also, yeah, like, you know, you point out the ideal, which is that people want to own homes and they're significantly happier when they do own homes. But unfortunately, the reality of that and the ripple effect of trying to get everybody to own homes is endless with riddled with issues and challenges right and we're not just talking about prices of homes but availability and um location and accessibility and accommodation and what that looks like there it's just never ending the conversations around how to make that possible grant so we got to start somewhere and i always wonder what that somewhere could possibly be because of how complex the situation is around housing and affordability to say the least yeah oh Exactly. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because like home ownership is not necessarily the holy grail in many ways. And in fact, it comes with a fair fair amount of risk as well. So the fact that we are here when I would imagine historically, uh, possibly just renting for years might have actually been a lot less stressful than trying to figure out, you know, can I have all the risks that come with owning a home? So we're really just flipping this uh, 
on its face. Yeah, it's quite interesting because yeah. it used to be just a simple understanding of, hey, if you own a home, then the, the savings aspect of it, right? So like the investment aspect of it in real estate is uh, better than or should be, ought to be better than you renting and then putting away that extra money you would spend on a mortgage into your savings. Now mm-hmm. the conversation is so much more complicated than that. Hoping we can look back at this one day, you know, when we enter whatever middle age, it's just keep moving on. And we're like, oh, I don't even remember what things were like back then. It's yeah, so right. Yeah. Not the <laughs> trauma, you, nothing. You, <laughs> you want to talk about a sobering thought, go look at the prices of houses and that will really make you go. Yeah, yeah I don't think so. That that's That's also a real sobering thought. And I like the idea of being able to call my landlord and be like, can you fix this versus if I owned a exactly. home? Exactly. This my, is not my a roof, problem. <laughs> my roof caved in and I own my home and it's like, darn, I got to fix the roof now. So it's, yeah. it's there's there's two sides to this, Grant, for sure. Thank you, Grant, as always, always great stuff. And uh, we'll talk to you again on Wednesday with more headlines. Always a pleasure. Thanks, guys. That was Grant Hardy for the latest headlines. And again, like I mentioned, he'll be back on Wednesday with more. After the break, we're doing an AMI highlight and talking about Push Season 2 because it is debuting on Monday, March 18th at 9 p.m. Eastern on AMI-tv. Put it in your calendars. Uh, We're going to talk about it with Brian McPherson, one of the stars of the show, after the break on Kelly and Ramya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's Kelly and Rumia. Thanks for joining us. We are here Monday to Friday, two hours of the show filled with all kinds of diverse content, conversations, guests, contributors, and our hosts. Of course, we have interesting things to say as well. Brock Richardson's here, and uh, I'm Rumia Amuthan. So you were saying that you were going to hang out with Kelly for what he's doing um, around Black History Month today, Brocky, with SILT, which is the Center for Independent Living Toronto. And instead, you came over here to talk to me. And we had a couple different conversations already, including one about um, registering your dogs into to let people know what kind of behavioral issues your dogs may have, especially when it comes to public spaces like dog parks and other areas where your dog is going to be around for. And the first thing I think of, Brock, because you mentioned when we were talking about this with Grant Hardy, you mentioned that, um, you know, like judging a book by its cover, right? Or judging a dog by its face value or breed as an example. And I think of how when I go to the dog park, which is not that often, but when I do, there is a lot of stigma around certain breeds, and you can tell um, how that manifests when you go to a dog park because you're dealing with all sizes of dogs, ages, kinds of owners, and kinds of training. Um, and so there are times where I'm like, oh, I can tell that I have some biases and prejudice or others have some biases and prejudice against um, some of the dogs or the way that they are behaving at dog parks. And then you know that there are people who literally will not bring their dogs to dog parks because they think that it's unacceptable. And there's a lot of um, trainers, well-known trainers and, and reputable trainers who suggest, highly suggest against bringing your dogs to the dog parks as well. Yeah, and I think also to your point about people, I just find that 
you are being, and I'm going to put this in quotes because not everybody is in this boat. You're being judged by the owner, too. You're being judged by, look at how she did this or that or whatever. And so it's you're factoring the dog, you're factoring the people. Like, it's just all kinds of things. And I'm telling you, we spent 20 minutes in, in the dog park, and I was like high levels of fear and anxiety because I don't want my dog to be hurt. I don't want other people's dog to be hurt. Mm. I, it, you just, you don't want that. And Romeo, we had the dog park we went to here in our neighborhood was the weirdest rule. And maybe this is me and my new, you know, dog owner ignorance, but mm. they said no standing still the people, no standing what? still. You must constantly move with your animal. You cannot stand still. And I'm like, what kind of rule is this? Like, I, like, is that like a workaround like, for, you know, don't let your, don't just chill and uh, forget about your dog while your dog may get itself into some trouble kind of thing? I guess. Like supervision? I guess. But just the way it was worded was like, no <laughs> standing still. I'm like, huh? So I constantly have to move like I it was it was weird. And I we were asking other um, other dog owners who seemed way more seasoned than we were. And we're like, is this a thing? And they're like, at this dog park, yes, but others, okay. not so much. And it was like, huh, I thought it was me, you know, being a new ignorant dog owner going, really? I have to move around with my dog? Like, right. okay, like she's not going to go anywhere. I mean, the fences are high enough that she's not jumping over it. She's running around and I can't go at the same rate of speed as my dog. So, so yeah. we're in trouble here, you know? Like, exactly. It's, it's quite yeah. interesting, but yeah, definitely there is just, you know, so much to navigate around dog parks and I, I could empathize with people who are like, I'm just not going to take my dog to the dog park. And especially if you have disabilities that you have to consider, um, it's not always accommodating to be taking your dog I can to a tell dog you, park. I can tell you 100%, I would never, never go on my own mm-hmm. to a dog park. Mm-hmm. My my vision impairment, my, my lack of motor skills, my dexterity, like it yep, would be yep. just all kinds of Oh my goodness, no thank you. Like yeah. it just unpredictable, you know, I, uncontrollable yeah. situations. Exactly. 100%. So uh, we're going to talk about something else. We may not be able to get our guest today to talk about Push um, Season 2 on AMI TV. But in the meantime, let's talk about the RCMP. They've launched a criminal investigation to what it calls alarming security breaches of its networks. And Canadian press reporter Brenda Molina Davidad has more. The National Police Force says it's actively managing the breach, adding the situation is evolving quickly. But it says the cyber event hasn't had any impact on its operations and it's not aware of any threat to Canadians' safety. The RCMP says it will work with Shared Services Canada and Communications Security Establishment to evaluate the scope of the breach. Uh, It says police will also work to hold those behind the breach accountable uh, as well. So I guess to me, it's almost scary how normal security breaches are becoming. And it's not just about uh, small things that we hear about or everyday things that come up in the news, but even towards such 
giant drastic measures like when we're talking bank accounts or medical records or this with the RCMP where you're like you're not even sure what's being breached but you know this kind of uh, underlying understanding of oh uh, I guess security breaches are everywhere and then we're just supposed to not deal with it. and I wonder or sorry deal with it and I wonder if this Brocky is just a defense mechanism of knowing that us as individuals, as just the everyday person, not being able to do anything um, substantial about something like this. The part that makes me smile in this is, and not smile in a good way, but it's that whole, we don't know what the breach is, but trust us, there's nothing that public safety has Uh to worry about. If you don't know, how can you tell me that there's nothing I have to worry about? Like, well, as if they would how- tell you, like, that's the other thing, right? The distrust that if it was something alarming and terrifying, would we be told the transparent information? I highly doubt it. I, I doubt it, but I would hope so because it's for my safety. And I think that the phrase, it's not, you know, public safety is not at risk is something that we hear so often that everybody just sort of throws it out there like, don't worry, no risk to you. Well, in this case, if you don't know what the breach is, how do you know? And I think that's what lends me to go, yeah, but I'd rather you tell me that there is risk to me because it's so haphazard to be like, Mm. don't worry about it. There's no risk to you. Yeah, it it sounds uh, more concerning to not know and to not understand. And then, like I said, the the kind of execution of that is to be like, oh, well, I guess we can't do anything about it anyways. And um, unfortunately, I think that this is just the default way. And it feels like that with anything, you know, security when it comes to the government or just this lack of power uh, that we have and lack of communication or transparency from our uh, politicians, our governments, etc. And I, I think that it's showing up in a lot of different ways. And maybe we're concerned but on a day-to-day level like what can we do and we are such in a position where we trust those in authority in authoritative positions that we go okay well i guess you know more than i do and we just kind of walk away and move on and i and i think that's kind of where we society has built us to sort of think these people are in these positions because they know what they're doing and we're supposed to just go okay all right, moving on, you know, like it's no yeah. problem. And and, and just perhaps grin and nobody it. knows. And then the aspect of the unknown is, you know, more scary than uh, knowing. But we just, we have no timeline, right? We have no then you, frame of reference. But then you, you can't say then, if nobody knows, you cannot say there's no risk to public exactly. safety. And that's that's like, what concerns me, like the the lingo yeah. around this and the um, kind of <laughs> I want to say corporate speak, but you know what I mean. It's like this. Here's the general message of don't worry, we'll figure it all out um, to encourage people. But it's not based on anything legitimate. At least no, that's exactly. not what it seems like. Um, sadly, New York City's celebrity owl has died. 
Initial findings are back from a necropsy on Flocko, the Eurasian eagle owl that flew into a building and was found dead Friday on Manhattan's West 89th Street, according to the Wildlife Conservation Society. The report finding Flocko in good physical shape, weighing 4.1 pounds, just 2% less than when he lived at the Central Park Zoo, but had substantial hemorrhaging from the impact. Tissue samples to determine whether any poisons from eating rats won't be back for about two weeks. Flocko lived for 13 years at the zoo until someone cut the cage last February and he escaped. No arrests have been made. Efforts to recapture Flacco were abandoned. Julie Walker, New York. Oh my goodness. So he, there's that period of time where he had escaped and we didn't even know where he was and or who did it. Well, I guess we still don't know who did it, but this is pretty sad. Um, and I I think of like, what was it? Celebrity mascot? Was that the words that they used? No, a celebrity owl. Yeah. Uh, and Brock, I wonder, you know, what, how did he even get to this point of reputation? Yeah. Like I, when I read this line, I thought, huh, I didn't even know there was a celebrity owl in New York. Like yeah. that's the first thing I, I thought of. And then the thing that sort of puzzled me was like, what do you mean all efforts to, to find him was just abandoned? So we just let him go from the zoo and we just kind of went at some point, oh, well, hopefully he'll return. Like I, mm. like he, w- he was in captivity for some reason or another. And I just, it, it surprises me that it was just like, oh, at some point we abandoned the search for this owl. And well, how you know, are you supposed we, you know, to? Like, I think with birds, it's much more difficult to even consider what that would feel like. Like, how do you have a search party for a flying creature? I have no idea. If something is um, on the ground, you can almost follow its trajectory, right? But then, you know, aren't there other ways that we can deal, like uh, having a tracker and such? Because we know that that's very familiar territory for keeping track of birds. And maybe what I'm going to say here is, not going to be the most popular opinion but to your point are we going to use a whole bunch of resources to find this owl that you point out is in the air and and it's so i mean i get it at some point you're just gonna have to say sorry but we're just gonna we're just gonna use our resources in other places because other animals need our care and so if we take resources from one to find this owl that means somebody's losing and and the purposes of zoos are because these animals need the help and need the captivity. Mm-hmm. I, I also think like how easy was it for someone to have opened that cage or cut the cage as they see it? I, I find that to be pretty scary um, because if it's happened to this owl, I wonder how many other animals it can happen to and how many people would think of this as like a go ahead to try an attempt. And again, an incident like this lends me to think when somebody has the ability to cut a cage open, then they're going to make the efforts to say, well, we're going to move people further back, which then lends to what if you're visually impaired and need to be closer. So now the zoo becomes less of an attraction because I have to be further back because someone decided That's fair to cut too. the cage open. Yeah. So, yeah. Always because of that one person. We're going to take a break and hopefully we'll talk about Push Season 2 on AMI-TV a little later on, potentially in the week. But it is debuting March 18th, so keep your your AMI 
app, AMI Plus and AMI TV app open for that. In the next hour of Kelly and Ramya, we're talking about the victim slash witness assistant programs that are available in each of Canada's provinces and territories. That's on Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin. Also, we're talking about fall prevention with Mark Rankin during our orientation and mobility chat. Lots of things you can do to audit your homes for falls. Uh, but up next, talking to Ottawa community reporter Kim Kilpatrick about North America's uh, only urban sugar shack. Looking forward to that on Kelly and Ramya. Keep it here for more of Kelly and Ramya on AMI-tv. We're back and looking ahead to hour two of Kelly and Rumia on a nice Monday afternoon. We're headed to the end of February as well. Time is flying. Uh, though there is an extra day in February, so keep that in mind. Brock Richardson, Rumia Amuddin, we're the hosts of today's show. And Kelly will be back tomorrow with you, Brock, actually. It'll be fun. Yes, he will. <laughs> so I'll just be getting a dose of Rumia and a dose of Kelly, which I always like. Sharing the load between the two of you is so mm-hmm. always fun. It's a big load. What is, what is also, I will reserve comment <laughs> from there. Uh, what, what is also fun is getting to hear from our community reporters. And we do this on Monday through Wednesday. And uh, we kick off the week this week by welcoming in our community reporter from Ottawa, Kim Kilpatrick. Kim, hello. How are you? You got me laughing. <laughs> you got me laughing about that. Not yes. You're reserving your comments too, right, Kim? <laughs> yeah, I'm reserving them. Yeah, I will. Yeah, okay. Them too. Good. Yeah. Good. Beautiful good. weather here. It sure feels like spring. It um, does. It's going to be 13 tomorrow here in Ottawa, oh, which is my. unheard of in February, I think. That is way you know, too good. Strange. Way too yeah, warm. Yes. Really, really beautiful. Beautiful weather. This is the- this is the time of year that I really look forward to, and I welcome the warm weather. As soon as it wants to come, I will be happy and say, you can just come on, keep coming, that's fine. We can get rid of that uh, other stuff that's on the ground, which I will neglect to mention its name. But uh, yeah, what we're going to talk about first, Kim, is your next show. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, so some of the listeners might remember that last year when I was in Calgary performing my guide dog show, I had a taxi refusal experience where the cab driver said put the dog in the trunk was his answer to taking the dog or rather not taking the dog and I had a big uh, fight with the well with the cab company and the driver and Mm. got Byla involved and everything happened so the whole time when he said it I mean I was totally outraged and shocked by the fact that he would think I would actually put my guide dog in the trunk but in the back of my head my brain I was saying that is the best title for a storytelling show I've ever heard like it's really great so I was like a part of me was fighting and the rest of me was sort of creatively thinking about it and I thought you know I really want to do a show about advocacy and how you advocate and times when you don't when you probably should have and times when you choose not to and how that all works like how do you figure it out how do you learn it and how do you learn the style that's right for you? And how do you, um, you know, how do you, what does it feel like going through this all the time like we do, right? Every single day we're kind of on that line is, am I going to have to explain to somebody about, you know, about my 
blindness about, you know, well, wheelchair use. Like, I, I don't use a wheelchair for you, Brock. You know, like, I'm like, what am I going to have to say? Is this going to be inaccessible? Someone going to say, you know, something. Am I going to have to do something about this? So I, I wanted uh, sighted people to really understand this, that we walk this line all the time. And how I, I, I thought about how did I develop as an advocate kind of advocate how did I find my style of advocacy and how did I get more comfortable with it and so um, it sort of intersperses the Calgary story so there'll be a bit of it and then I go back this time you know when my mom first advocated for me or my dad or when you know school I had problems or when it was Mm. good like when I didn't I didn't have to advocate when I thought I might you know when everything when you know when you show up to something and everything is right And they've got everything and you're like, wow, like this is so great. I don't have to do anything except attend this event. So it's it's a storytelling show. It's it's about an hour long and it's called Put the Dog in the Trunk because that's what sort of started this whole adventure. Um, But it's been really fascinating and I've I've had some fun talking to friends of mine who are blind and also friends of mine who are sighted about advocacy itself, about what the are the words they would use or what the emotion i mean the stories are mine but i want to get at how does it feel to you doing this and how do you think and how do you decide when you're going to fight for something and when you're going to right. just we can't do everything right some things we have to drop so and you're what not makes always in the where mood. that point is like exactly if you're feeling sick or you know if something else is going on in your life you just don't have the course. energy or you can't be bothered or, yeah. you know, if it's someone's big event, are you going to fight outside the church at their wedding because they don't want to let, you know, your That's dog right. maybe not, right? That's you right. know, like, what is, what is it? How did, what is the tipping point, you know, and where, and then not to beat yourself up if you don't do it, because we can't, we have to pick our battles, right? we course. can't do it all. So um, it's been really fascinating developing the show because I've really had to think about it. And I think because I've been blind for so long that, I've just evolved. Like I haven't thought about Mm. it as much as I've been thinking about it lately. And it's really fascinating to me to think it through more carefully, like from that perspective. From a discussion perspective, like how you're putting that out there for others. What are the words you would use? Mm. Like a friend of mine said, it's like you're walking down the street like when this, when a sudden advocacy battle takes on, like this thing about the cab driver, like I said, I booked a cab, you know, I came to the cab. I said, is this for Cam? No, no dogs. And then like, okay. Okay. Yeah. And it, and she described it as you're walking down a clear, smooth sidewalk and all of a sudden you hit that patch of ice. Right. Mm-hmm. So like for a sighted person, like I was trying to think of what is the feeling word that, what is the experience? What is it that all of a sudden you're all of a sudden in a different mode? You know, you're in this different mode all of a sudden. Yeah, and sometimes anyway. we're just reactive to Kim, and it's not always a pleasant interaction. And we're thinking, well, I needed to advocate, no. but really, I was just angry. <laughs> I was, I was in a bad mood, and, and yeah. you know, I said, I said lots of times, I said to my guide dog using friends, a bunch of them, I get more emotional when my dog is refused, which is dumb in the sense that my dog couldn't care less whether she's in this cab or the next cab some bus like she doesn't know right but I get all I get very emotional some guide dog users said they do and some said they don't so I mean again I don't know I mean that's just me I guess that's just how I am I suppose but it makes me more upset when she's refused as if I'm refused right this is like a friend give us the details Kim because I want to talk about your second subject as well yeah so it's at Arts Court Theater on March the 28th 
You can find out more by going to ottawastorytellers.ca. But uh, never fear, those of you who don't live here or, or live here but can't come on that night, there will be a live stream of the show for a week. It won't be on the night, but they put it up usually the next morning. So if you okay. buy a ticket uh, through Eventbrite, and if you have trouble with Eventbrite, because I know it's not always the most accessible, you can email mad at ottawastorytellers.ca. That's right. mad for Managing Artistic Director, and she can help you get a ticket if you want one so anyone from anywhere can can stream the show and so i'd be really curious too if people do like i'd really want like to work on it some more this is just mm. the first iteration of it so if anyone you know has ideas or thoughts or if anyone else would like to do a combination show about advocacy or something you know like nice. i'd be really into that so yeah it's definitely yeah, one so of these kind of ongoing discussions obviously but also evolving right depending on the stages and phases of life and um, your own journey with disability Okay, tell us about the Vanier Sugar Shack. Yeah, so I have no idea about this. Um, I don't know why, because I've lived here most of my life. But all <laughs> of a sudden, a couple of weeks ago, I heard about it. Someone mentioned it. And it's right in the middle of Ottawa. Like, I don't know about probably either of you, but to get to a sugar shack, it's usually out in the in the forest somewhere where you can't get to unless you drive. You know, and I thought, wow, like this is in the middle of the city, really. There's a, a local OC transport bus that goes right to it. And it it has like a little forest, I guess. I've never been there. I am going to go this year. I'm going to go so I can let you know what it's like. But um, it's open usually from nine to three from Wednesday to Sunday. And you don't, you can't really reserve unless you're a big group. You could reserve, but but for people, it's sort of first come first serve. They let the last people in around two o'clock, um, so it's open. And I don't know how much you get to experience. I'm not sure. It wasn't really clear when I checked. Um, I know there's food, there's meals, there pancakes, and you know all of that stuff that you eat at the maple sugar places but i don't know some of them let you go around and feel like where they're tapping the trees and stuff so i imagine you probably can do that but i don't know for sure but um it's yeah you can go there by bus it's accessible of course by paratransport they said that the building is totally accessible and there's accessible parking spaces uh, the parking lot there um so i had no idea about this I don't know why I didn't, but uh, I'm excited to find out more. I'm going to go and check it out and see, you know, they do have a museum there. I don't know how accessible that is either because I haven't ever been there before. And I don't, I haven't talked to friends who have ever been there before. There's a lot of um, sugar bushes around Ottawa. Like there's some in uh, near Perth and, and these communities in Eastern Ontario and definitely people have gone to those like friends of mine have gone to those but I don't know anyone who's gone to this one so I really am and it's right in like downtown that's what's yeah like pretty much yeah like yeah and so and 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 a well-kept secret or else it's Mm. not very (laughs) I don't know I, I I don't know I mean it sounded like it was interesting and fun and they're supposed to have some sugar festival from March 13th to 15th. So I'm going to try to also find out more about the sugar festival. Imagine it. Please do and find out about the goodies that you get, can get a hold of. Yeah, like all the, all the maple Maple candy, maple maple syrup. syrup, Maple maple candy, maple tea. Uh, Someone someone brought me one. Yeah, maple, maple. Someone brought me maple tea one time from a sugar shack bush. 
it was good yeah. i never had it before it was really was really nice what's so, that yeah, thing so again when you put like the maple syrup in the snow and have the popsicle oh. stick and yeah, yeah. Well, i i forget they actually call it but it makes it like kind of like a really hard um like, like a snow cone but taffy. maple they make taffy too like they make this pulling taffy with the maple too um i think and they always have pancakes and they often have the baked beans with like maple in it or something Ooh, like you know the maple yeah. and beans and um i yeah but taffy definitely and those little squares of maple sugar that are like shapes of maple yep. leaves i like those maple too. fudge they're, they're, we we've talked more about the uh goodies go. more than the sugar shock yeah like if i when i go when i go there and and check out they had these three meals and one of them was called the lumberjack i don't mm. think i'm gonna be eating that meal because I think it would be pretty big but uh yeah so I I'm gonna go and I will let you guys know what what you know what it's like mm-hmm. there hopefully it's it's, it's really good because uh it, yeah it sounds really good Kim we are out of time for today we appreciate it very much okay and now you I'll got me wanting some sugar for next time okay sounds good a we'll sugar. give people okay. a reminder we'll send you some sugar we'll send you chocolate or something maple maple sugar delicious thank you <laughs> Absolutely. That was our com- that was our community reporter from Ottawa, Kim Kilpatrick. We're going to take a break and come back to talk to Mark Rankin, our orientation and mobility specialist. Today we're doing part two of fall preventions. He says they're easy and straightforward ways for us to keep track of uh, and audit ways that we may have falls at our homes. So he's going to talk more in detail about that after the break on Kelly and Ramia. Don't go away. There's more great conversation with Kelly and Ramya right around the corner. A quick reminder of the last thing we did not get to with community reporter Kim Kilpatrick from Ottawa, because we simply could not stop talking about sugar, uh, is the reminder of two book clubs accessible book clubs available with the CCB in Ottawa. And these are um, for people who are blind or have low vision. One takes place on the first Tuesday of every month. And the other one is at Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. So every Tuesday, I guess. Uh, And the 7 p.m. book club called the After Hours Book Club is started for people who uh, may be working during the days. So that's on the first Tuesday of every month. Very easy to keep track of. And if you want to join or get more information on either of these book clubs, you can simply email gtt at ccbnational.net. That's gtt, a.k.a. Get Together with Technology. So gtt at ccbnational.net. Thanks, Kim, for all the details. We're going to get into orientation and mobility now. Let's bring on Mark Rankin. Where am I? Where am I going? And how do I get there? I'm Mark Rankin. As a certified orientation and mobility specialist, I've been helping pedestrians with vision loss answer those questions for decades, with a few detours along the way. Join me on Kelly and Rumya for some travel tips and tall tales from the streets of Toronto. Okay, Mark, we started a conversation, a chat about fall prevention last time you were on with us, and we're going to continue that today. And I think this is very, very important. You have 
a simple audit of at-home hazards or in-home hazards, uh, and you said anyone can take part in this, anyone can keep track this way, and uh, you're going to tell us about it. Yeah, I, I'm going to blame the fact that you brought the Roomba last uh, last session for why we didn't get through this because uh, I'm easily distracted. Again, we like got that. sidetracked. Oh my gosh, it never happens on this show. <laughs> yeah, um, but so I think you know, just anecdotally, uh, I don't have statistics on this, but I find that I find more people falling indoors in the winter than I do in the summer, and that may be due to the fact that you come in and you're. You know, you're you're weighted down with a lot of clothing that you don't have otherwise, boots, mm -hmm. and you might be slippery, and you come in and you know you've got wet feet or whatever whatever happens. So, um, the idea behind this was to kind of have something that you could uh, just a layperson can use just to be aware of of hazards. So, um, last week I was talking about a, a CDC document that that covered um, falls and risks. And uh, today I'll I'll use a, a public health uh, agency of Canada document that's available on their website. Um, and this is a kind of a quick one that that goes sort of room by room. Um, and there's a lot of stuff out there that's that's available like this. Um, but in terms of of falls, just so kind of uh, the focus is really more on seniors. Um, twenty to thirty percent of seniors experience at least one fall per year. Um, eighty five percent of injury related hospitalizations are due to falls when you when you talk about seniors. Um, ninety five percent of Hip fractures due to falls, and 50% of all falls um, causing hospitalization for, for seniors uh, happen at home. So uh, definitely an, an area of risk that we don't always uh, always think about. So in terms Mark, of... Sorry, go yeah. ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, in terms of uh, vision loss, what you... And, and really for me, it's more the people who have age-related vision loss conditions that are more at risk because they haven't figured out yet what they can accomplish visually and what they need to do, you know, by by doing other uh, using other senses or mm -hmm. or other techniques, right? Um, so when you think about the age-related stuff, it's the 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 kind of visual-related issues are the light and dark adaptations. So it takes longer for your eyes to adjust um, from light to dark and vice versa. Depth perception often diminished, especially if you're relying primarily on one eye. You know, you get one stronger eye, so you're not getting the kind of binocular uh, vision. Um, glare becomes more of an issue. Uh, I think people with cataracts, other other conditions, and uh, a lessening of contrast and color sensitivity. So those things kind of all go together. Um, in terms of uh, looking at the the home itself. Um, this document is broken it down to a few different rooms. So they look at the bathroom, and it's a quick little list of things you want to look at is um, non-slip surfaces, having those on, on the tub and the shower. Right. Grab bars by the toilet and the bath to help you sit and stand. Um, and make sure they're anchored, they're not just uh, screwed into drywall. Uh, raised toilet seat or a bath seat, if those are useful for you. Um, and I'll say uh, the the raised toilet seat, the best one to get is one that has sort of a frame around it. One thing I find with people with very reduced vision is finding the toilet is is a hard task because typically not using your cane inside. What people do is they can usually find the vanity, but then they start reaching for the toilet, right? So then you're bending over. If you're bending over and you have poor balance, then you're already you know partway at risk for a fall. So if you've got a, a raised seat that has uh, a frame around it, it's easy to reach for the frame because it stands up, it sits up pretty high. You've got these sort of rails 
So a lot easier to locate the toilet and then to center yourself, you're turning around, make sure that you're going to fit and you're going to land on it because you've got these sort of uh, handrails to, to guide you onto it. Um, also in the bathtub, uh, around the shower bath, um, get the temperature up to the temperature that you that's comfortable before you step in, right? The worst thing is turning it on, getting a blast of cold or too hot, mm. and then scrambling out of the way of the of the water that you don't want to be under because it's not at the ideal temperature. Um, another thing is making sure the temperature of your hot water is set a little bit lower, so around 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, a lot of appliances will heat up water as it's needed. So like uh, dishwashers, a lot of them have internal heater. They'll, they'll warm up the, the water if it's, if it's necessary to have it at a higher level or clean dishes. Um, but then it reduces the chance of scalding. And again, you get scalded and you're running out of the way of hot water or there's, you, you don't have a valve that uh, equalizes the, the temperature. You get a hot, you know, someone flushes something and you get a hot, you're only going to get a, a minor, minor inconvenience versus like something that could be potentially more dangerous. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing that we notice a lot in bathrooms are they tend to be predominantly one color. So a lot of times it's all white, white vanity, white floor, white toilet, white bathtub. Yeah. Um, so anything you can do to add contrast there, and it might be simple stuff like a non, non-flip dark mat outside the shower, a darker shower uh, curtain. Um, toilet seat some cover. People will, yeah, to toilet seat cover. If you want to go old school, get like a fuzzy one, fuzzy ones in the seventies. If those yeah. are still around, probably somewhere. They're um, still around, but yeah, I didn't know they were old. Okay, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, my kids are all yeah, yeah. What what I think is old, yeah, might be new again. That's um, not popular at your house, apparently. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, there's there's lots of options in terms of just in. That, that contrast provides a little bit better uh, spatial awareness so that if you do if you do get off balance and you can see where the where the where the sink is or where the wall is because of where the towels are hanging you can reach out and steady yourself whereas if everything's white and you 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 do lose your balance you you're disoriented you don't know what to reach out for um, it can be pretty uh, pretty panic inducing this contrast thing, Mark, uh, in different scenarios, as you pointed out, and specifically the bathroom, I guess, is a good one, especially back to that intention of or that's understanding of people who may not understand how much vision they're losing and what that next step is to help accommodate or maybe really realistically they're not even at that point where they can have these external conversations with people but the contrasting is super helpful because you can just make these little changes that are helpful um, without necessarily having to be like, oh, you know, this is to help me not fall or not bump into or not understand that this is jutting out more than I realized, uh, like depth perception yeah. changes and such. Yeah, I think it's a great point because it's not, you don't feel like, oh, I'm putting in something because it's I'm subtle. at risk, you know? Definitely. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, it can look good, again, if you get the really fuzzy right. <laughs> cover. Okay, yeah. Um, so, yeah, and then we look at the living room and bedroom. So, um, first of all, and this is general for for the for the home in, in general is reducing clutter um, and especially loose wires. So if you can group, you know, if you can collect the wires together, um, you can you can get things that'll uh, you know IKEA sell them. You can poke the uh, wires into them, so it's just one thing um, that you're, you're less likely to catch it with your foot and, and trip yourself. Um, try not to run extension cords uh, it, if if it means you know 
moving furniture, sometimes that's worth it. Um, it's the worst thing to have something across the path of travel. The other thing is um, one that people don't always think about, but phones. So if you've if you're on an old school landline, um, it's good to have multiple phones. So sometimes that means just like having a cordless, um, but with lots of bases around, because you don't want to be running to another room to answer a phone. Um, if people have a cell phone, I tell them just to keep it on them at all times, because if you do fall and you don't have access to a phone, it can be really, really a difficult situation. I had a, a client years ago, um, bachelor, uh, all his life, no family, mid eighties, not particularly at risk for a fall, but yeah. had a fall at home and did was not able to broke his hip. Um, and I think broke a rib as well, was not able to crawl to a phone and spent two full days on the floor until My goodness. Uh, a PSW happened to be due to arrive. Um, and Amy called out and let them know that he was on the floor. So that was two days without food or water. Like that's life endangering at that point. Um, and just for the simple reason that he couldn't get to a phone, right? And you don't think of that as a safety measure, um, but it can be. It could be life and death, really, literally. Um, lighting. So again, we always want to have, generally, we think about enhanced lighting. So usually people with vision loss need a little bit more light, but you want light to be consistent. So you don't, um, you don't want lighter areas and darker areas because again, transitioning is hard because your eyes don't adjust as well. Um, another thing is night lights. So for those things, you know, if you're in a, if you're in a bedroom, you want a very clear path between the bathroom and the bedroom. So that's the kind of the, the place that you're most likely to go to. If you wake up in the middle of the night, you might be a little bit dopey because you're sleepy. Um, you can, some people will put in night lights that respond to uh, motion. So then detect motion and they'll come on. I do find um, it's probably better to have one that just stays on one. It's better for orientation. Um, because if you're relying on the motion one, you may not get there. You, if you get up and you're not quite sure where you're going, um, and the other thing is then you don't get startled by this sudden change of light, right? So again, light adapt adaptation is not great. So you don't want to suddenly get a spotlight kind of shining, um, when you arrive. So it's better to have something that sort of stays on at all times. Um, the other thing with, uh, with those paths are, I generally try to make it as, as short and, and easy as possible. So sometimes that means moving furniture during the day, you might travel visually, but if you get up at night, you might need to actually trail a wall because you know, the, the poor light, you just don't function well. So then you might need a little bit more of a, something, uh, to physically study you. So sometimes that means, you know, maybe moves moving a bed a little bit closer to the wall so that when you get up, you can reach out, follow the wall to the door, you know, get out into the hallway, follow the wall to, so it's sometimes it's a little bit of, of changes. You don't want to make, make too many changes if someone's comfortable with the environment they're in, but. Right. Um, but it's like part of it is, past, the, sorry, just to yeah. say part of it is the prevention. And then the other part is how are we going to deal if you do have a serious fall, right? And if you are, are alone in your environment. And I think that's, what's really, um, the, uh, very harsh to think about, but have to consider in emergencies, especially what you said about landlines. Like now with cell phones, we're thinking, of course I have my cell phone on me. Nobody needs a landline. But then you're potentially stuck in a situation where your cell phone is not with you and you're absolutely uh, out of capacity to contact somebody. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you consider you can consider alert things like Lifeline, yeah. um, things like that. Certainly for for seniors who, who are into cell phones, um, and then you've got something that's sort of a, a fail safe, right? Mark, we're pretty much at the end of time. Do you have any quick words before we wrap? Um, no, I would just say you know, again, um, a lot of accidents happen at home. It's a cliche, but that does not make it any less true. Sure. Um, and and these things are really common sense things to think about, right? You just want to put it in the context of the vision loss, right? So add that layer to the natural aging things. All our senses kind of decline, but vision is probably the one that's most likely going to result in a fall. So think about that. And you know what you said about doing the simple changes that don't feel like a disability specific change in in your environment. Mm-hmm. It's probably the best way to go about starting it. Yeah, I got like these um, uh, table mats, like placemats that are very high contrast. And I think, you know, this is such a great way to just say, hey, it's aesthetically pleasing, but also very high contrast, mm-hmm. right? Nothing to do with falls, by the way. I just wanted to throw that in there. Mark, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk to you, you next month. month. All right. Mark Rankin All right, joins us for Orientation and Mobility Chat, and he's an O&M specialist working with the blind and low vision community here in Toronto. So uh, we like to have him on once a month to chat about different things, and we've done two conversations now about fall prevention, so check both of these out on uh, podcasts by searching for Kelly and Ramia. We're going to take a break and come back to talk Know Your Rights with Danielle McLaughlin, who joins us every Monday, and this time we're talking about uh, the victim-slash-witness protection programs that are available at each of Canada's provinces and territories. We'll learn the details after the break on Kelly and Ramia. It's fun, insightful, and inclusive. Kelly and Ramia return in a minute. It's Kelly and Ramia on AMI-tv, AMI-audio, and podcasts. We're here 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern live if you want to catch us exactly in real time. And that's on AMI-tv. 4 p.m. Eastern is the first airing on AMI-audio. And then, of course, whenever you want to listen to us on uh, your favorite podcast platform. I'm Ramia Amadhan, and I'm here with Brock Richardson today for the show. And we're carrying on. I always find that listening live or watching live is fun because sometimes you can interact with the show and be like, right. Costco hot dogs are wonderful, as I did last, uh, last Important week. Important so things like always that. Fun. Always we Yes, discuss. exactly. Exactly. 100%. It's uh, around, well, it is segment seven, which means on a Monday, it's time for Know Your Rights. Let's do it. Did you know that everyone has rights? No matter who we are, we all qualify. But what happens when freedoms collide? The answers are rarely simple, but always interesting. Join me, Danielle McLaughlin, to talk about civil liberties and human rights on Know Your Rights. There is a victim witness assistance program in each of Canada's provinces and territories. Let's talk about what these programs do, and who they are for. Danielle, as always, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Let's start with that very question. What are these programs exactly? 
Okay. And before we start with that, I agree entirely about Costco hot dogs. <laughs> just just to let you know. It seems <laughs> to be to unanimous. Yesterday. Oh, yeah. Oh, my, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you very much. It's lovely to see both of you today. Um, you know, I, I've been asking around people I know to find out who has heard of the Victim Witness Assistance Program. And I found that... Um, Maybe 50% of the people I know have heard of it. The rest don't know anything about it. So I thought, well, it's really important that people are aware about these programs. These are court-based programs in every province and territory, and they provide information, help, and support to victims and witnesses of crime so that they can understand and participate in the criminal court process. The People who are involved are usually referred to these programs by police, by special victims units, or by the Crown Council. Um, or people who, who know that it exists can get in touch themselves independently. It's a free program, and it really does an awful lot to help support people who suddenly find themselves involved with the justice system in ways they may not be familiar with at all. Okay, and why is it called victim slash witness? You know, that's a really good question. And um, the answer is kind of unusual. You know, we think of victims as having to do, you know, with the, the court system. Actually, under law, there's really no such thing as a victim. There are witnesses. So if you are a victim of a criminal act, you are a witness to that act. And under law, that's how you participate in the court system as a witness. Because a, if you're a complainant, for example, uh, uh, if you've been assaulted, um, it's, you, you are a victim for sure. But under the law, you are a witness to that assault. So you don't actually have a, um, you, for example, you don't need to hire a lawyer, right? The uh, witness to a crime is going to be represented by the crown, by the prosecution uh, in that case. So that's why it's called victim slash witness, because even if you're a victim, you're still a witness. Mm. Can we talk a little bit about the services that are provided? Yes, um, we will. Now, there are there's a broad range of services that can be provided to people who have been uh, who found themselves in the um, the victim witness uh, um, or, or actually who found themselves in the uh, the court process. So here's a here's a, a quick summary of some of the things that they they provide. They will provide people with information about their cases. Uh, they'll tell them what victims' rights in that particular case are, and particularly about the criminal court process, which um, is important because so many people see American television and they expect things will be exactly like they are right. on uh, the TV, and they're not. They're quite different. So the uh, Victim Witness uh, Assistance Program will provide you with information about courtroom procedures and what your role is in the court. They'll help people understand what to expect at each court date and help them prepare for their appearance in, in court. Because as a witness, you may be required to appear in court. 
Um, they will provide you with key court updates, what's going on and, and what's happening, you know, each each because, you know, it's not usually just a one off. There's, there are lots of different dates. They can provide you with copies of court orders, such as the bail conditions and probation orders um, that apply to the accused. So if you have been a victim of an assault, you're going to want to know whether the person accused of that is out on bail. Uh, if they have probation, you're going to want to know about that. They coordinate with the Crown Attorney, the prosecution, to provide your input concerns and needs as they relate to the criminal court case so that the Crown needs to know important things about your situation. They can connect you with the police to discuss your safety concerns. So if you feel, and in many of these cases um, uh, focus upon women who have been victims of um, domestic criminal situations, so the police can talk with you about your safety concerns and um, other information you might wish to provide about the crime. And they can support people emotionally through the court process. So in other words, somebody to sit with you while you're in court, somebody who can really offer you some comfort. They can refer you to community agencies. Um, if you are Indigenous, they can refer you to Indigenous and other culturally specific agencies. Um, and for additional services and supports you might need, such as counseling or a safety plan, if you um, don't speak French or English, they can arrange for language interpreters and they can help to ensure accommodations for any disabilities that people might have that need to be met while you are involved in the program. And they can assess or help to assess eligibility for support through vulnerable victims and family funds that could help to assist people to participate in the court process. Mm. Um, they can help you understand and complete a victim impact statement and statement on restitution, if any. So it sounds like they're really trying to cover all the the gaps and, and potential gaps that people might have, especially during a vulnerable time. I mean, what isn't when you're dealing with any kind of legal battle, but really. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so who is eligible? I mean, we know that it's available pretty much all over Canada. You said it's offered for free, but who is available to have access to these services? That's a good question. So if you have been a victim or a witness, or if your family have been victims or witnesses to a homicide, uh, human trafficking is another crime that that uh, it, this that relates to this intimate partner violence or domestic violence, specifically child abuse and sexual abuse, elder abuse, hate crimes, um, motor vehicle fatality cases that have resulted in criminal charges. So a lot of motor vehicle cases are actually not criminal charge cases. They they you know might be traffic act uh, cases, but where there's a criminal charge. And then other violent crimes where the victim witness has a disability. So these are the kinds of people who can get access uh, to these services. Now, I'm sure this this next part is delving into a much deeper scenario here. But what if the victim witness is a child? How does that get handled? Yeah. And who boy. So the other day I had the... Um, remarkable opportunity to speak to a woman who works specifically with child victims of crime. She is a social worker. People who work with adults don't necessarily have to be social workers, but I think 
in the case of of uh, child victims, they tend to be social workers, and they do an enormous amount of stuff. Um, so usually, it's the police who will make the referral to that uh, uh, particular um, uh, agency. Um, sometimes it's the special victims unit. Um, and they help with counseling. They can help to set up a situation for a child who, so that that child does not have to um, testify in court. In most cases where a child is a victim or witness, they can help to set up testimonial aids such as closed circuit TV um, or uh, a, a recorded situation where the child can have, for example, in some cases that there are dogs who will accompany a child who has to testify, um, especially mm -hmm. trained dogs, not just any old dog, of course, but th <laughs> these are dogs who, who know how to really help to provide comfort to, to people who are in such an enormously stressful situation. Um, when I spoke with the, this particular woman, she told me that she, her agency is connected with another not-for-profit. I know that there's a not-for-profit in Toronto called Boost, which specifically works with child of um, sexual assault victims, um, and they provide a fairly broad range of services, including counseling and and other kinds of things like that. Yeah, Danielle, I think that it, it is a very tough, multifaceted job to try to get people wow. um, feeling comfortable in the kinds of stress and discomfort, as you mentioned. And I guess, you know, you kind of have to do whatever you can in any way possible to to get people feeling like they can at least deal with what's going on. Um, That's right. Yeah. How long can uh, victim witnesses use this program, use these services? Yes, and unfortunately, um, you know, it's not indefinitely. It, it, they they can be assisted through the the uh, victim witness uh, program through to the end of a court case. So that usually means up until um, the, the accused person uh, their their case is resolved. So they've been uh, convicted, or they haven't been convicted, um, or there's been come some kind of a resolution to the case. Once there's a resolution to the case, then that's the end uh, of the victim witness uh, ass um, assistance that's uh, provided. Um, however, what they might do, and in many cases I think they have done, is um, they can refer somebody to uh, counseling or some other kinds of assistance, which is not in, in any way affiliated with the victim, victim witness program, but uh, which that person can then go on to use after the trial is over. Uh, we only have a couple of minutes left, but if you could kind of summarize what services are not provided. Yes, and that's important. So they don't give legal advice, um, and that you know that's they, they aren't lawyers in most cases, and they do not give le legal advice. Mm -hmm. They do not receive or discuss evidence in the case. They can't suggest a case outcome or tell people what that outcome might be. Um, they cannot withdraw charges, so that's important. Um, they can't provide or arrange for child care. They can probably, uh, you know, make some references, but they can't do that themselves, nor can they provide transportation to and from the courts for the person who needs to appear in court as a witness. Yeah, that seems important 
to understand as well, especially with everything else that is being offered. Danielle, are there specific rights that are uh, that victims specifically have in Canada? There are. Um, and if you are a victim of a crime, you have a right to information. You know, you have to you have to be told what's happening with with the case uh, on request. You have the right to protection if you are at risk. Um, the police, in most cases, uh, are required to make sure that you are safe. You have the right to participate. So, you know, as a witness, you, you have the right to, to to testify, to convey your views to the court. Um you have the right to seek restitution. That doesn't mean you're going to get it, but mm. you have the right to, to ask for compensation if you believe that 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 is um, that, uh, owed to you. And you have the right to make a complaint if you feel things haven't been handled the way in which you had hoped they would be be handled. So that's those are basically what what your rights are as as a victim um, or as as a witness. Certainly a deep topic, as always, and one that is necessary to let us know what is out there and what's available. Uh, thank you, Danielle, as always. And we'll talk to you uh, next week, Monday, but tomorrow for the book review. Absolutely. Thank you. Lovely seeing both of you and nice to talk to you. Thank you. That Bye-bye. was Danielle McLaughlin. That was Danielle McLaughlin, who joins us every Monday for Know Your Rights. We're going to take a break, come back and wrap the show with you. Time flies when you have so many things to talk about. Uh, We're going to continue talking, though, because I uh, want to tell you about a bunch of hockey cards that got sold for a wild amount of money. We're also going to tell you what's coming up on Now with Dave Brown tomorrow morning. We'll be right back. We'll be back with more of Kelly and Ramya after this short break. for sticking around. It's Kelly and Ramia, and we are going to be wrapping up the show shortly, so let's get to a couple different things. Number one is, of course, the reminder that we are available on your favorite podcast platform. You can search for Kelly and Ramia and find us in full show, uploaded daily, or in segment format where you can find the content and share easily with your people, and that's, of course, uploaded daily also. Brock Richardson and myself, we've been holding down the fort today. Brock will be back with Kelly tomorrow. Uh, Also tomorrow is Now with Dave Brown. It's our morning show on AMI-tv, 9 a.m. Eastern Time, live with Dave Brown and the gang. And they've given us a preview of what's coming up on tomorrow's show. Brocky, what do you have for us? They have indeed. Uh, Lawrence Gunther from Outdoors Podcast will discuss the end of El Nido and the return of Lanita weather patterns and what it will mean for Canada and the summer and all of that for 2024. So very interesting conversation there for sure. Laura Bain will tell us about some travel trends for 2024. And of course, a Tuesday episode would not be complete without the weekly news quiz. Dave Brown will put Karen McGee, uh, Alex Smythe and Alicia Yardley to the test on their Weekly news knowledge. All that coming up tomorrow at 9 a.m. Eastern Time on AMI-TV. Awesome. They're also available on podcast. If you miss any of it, you can go and search for now with Dave Brown. 
Um, so I want to tell you about this. I found the story yesterday, and it's quite fresh. So um, here's what it is. And it's from Saskatchewan, and it's about a pack of 1979 uh, hockey cards, year 1979 hockey cards that have been sold for over $5 million on an auction. And so this is released February 25th. This family in Saskatchewan turned these cards into millions of dollars. And around 1 a.m. Eastern on Sunday, that's when the bidding came to a final close, um, when they found this highly touted case filled with thousands of unopened uh, hockey cards that they found in their attic which is wild. So Jason Simmons, which is a, uh, who is a sports card specialist for the Dallas-based uh, Heritage Auctions, and he's the one who sold the cards, says the family was over the moon about the sale. Why wouldn't they? The family's chosen to stay anonymous, but he said he was texting with them. They stayed up until 1 a.m. when the bidding ended, and that was over a video call on Sunday. The case holding unopened hockey cards... Um, possibly has 25 to 27 Wayne Gretzky cards from his rookie year, but they don't know for sure because obviously it's unopened. And the values vary, but the mint condition rookie cards for Wayne Gretzky have been sold for $3.75 million in the past. So you can start making your guesses, right? There were about 15 bidders, but at the end it came down to an American and a Canadian the Canadian one, I guess that's a shout out. Uh, yes. And they <laughs> they bought the case for three million one hundred thousand American dollars, four million one hundred eighty uh, do- uh, Canadian million Canadian dollars, plus the twenty percent buyer's premium that you have to add onto everything. He says it's the Simmons. He says it's the highest. One of the highest priced items that Heritage has ever sold in an auction, and it's certainly the highest unopened item in the sports collectible market. So um, they are remaining anonymous. We don't know what's in those cards. We don't know how they're going to deal with it because they can discontinue selling, right, Brocky? Uh, but also this family in Saskatchewan's got not just these cards, but a whole bunch of baseball cards that they still have yet to go through. So they're going to make a ton more money if they choose to, which I don't know why they wouldn't after this point. Your thoughts and reactions. Even just the fact that you were even touting the mystery side of it, like 25 to 27 cards of Wayne Gretzky, that is going to make people go crazy on the money. As <laughs> a profane amount of money. <laughs> with the three, three point something, something million dollars you just, you just articulated. But I mean, people go crazy over sports cards. And I remind people, these are un opened packages that people are using and they have no clue other than people saying we think there's a b c d e f g in this box but we don't know that's you're willing to dish out all this money not knowing but hoping and keeping your fingers crossed and i'm just saying you have that money to spend but also the kind of patience you need and resistance to not go open these cards and just sell them because imagine what you could do if you knew but you can't. Anyways. Talk about the honor system with right? millions and millions of dollars. My yeah. goodness. I know. Yikes. Pause here for now. Join us back tomorrow at 2 p.m. Eastern time. We have a conversation about good foods for the brain with nutritionist Julia Karanchis. Also, vet Danielle Jonkine is talking about scientists being able to reverse hearing loss in mice. That's 2 p.m. Eastern tomorrow on Kelly and Ramia. We'll be back then.
I'm Jenny Bovard. Join me monthly for Low Vision Moments, where I speak with awesome guests about some of the amusing things that happen when you're blind or partially sighted. Watch on YouTube or download Low Vision Moments from your favorite podcast distributor.